Before we jump into our text for today, uh, it is Christmas time, and I want to take just a moment to talk about the next couple weeks here at Christ Community, um, how you engage, how you stay plugged in, how we celebrate Christmas together. Uh, we've been trying to do something intentional each week to keep going outside, to keep serving, to, to be generous in who we are. Last Sunday, we, um, we did Christmas Kids. We have two left. You see the two stockings in the middle row of the metal board over there. Uh, we need to get those done today. So uh, if, if the Lord's asking you to do something, grab one of those stockings, find Katie, and she can get you the information on those families and how to do that. Okay, but we need to, to make sure and take care of those two things. Uh, tonight, if you are a student or if you have a student, uh, grades 6 to 12, uh, student Christmas party is tonight. Uh, and then uh, uh, we're also announcing today that over the next, next week, we're collecting coats and hats. Bring them on Sunday or to Christmas Eve. Coats and hats that we'll uh, donate to the um, Inspire Academy. They're a partnership that we've got formed with them. And so that's uh, coats and hats of, of all sizes for like middle school, high school age kids, okay? So bring one of those with you uh, next Sunday or on Christmas Eve. Speaking of Christmas Eve, that's at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Uh, and then a couple things over the next two Sundays. Next Sunday, the 22nd, if you have an elementary kid, um, we're so excited. They're gonna, some of them are going to be helping us tell the Christmas story. We've got another baptism to celebrate. And so we're actually going to make next Sunday, because it is Christmas, uh, if you have an elementary kid, they're going to be in here with us celebrating as a family. Preschool will still operate as usual, okay? So that's next Sunday. And then the 29th, we're excited. Um, we're excited for something we're just calling Last Sunday Brunch. And so we're going to come together as a church family. Uh, we'll have some worship time uh, sermon, uh, but we'll do it around tables, and we're going to have some brunch together. The staff is going to serve you brunch. And uh, we're going to invite you to, to bring... Uh, your fam family famous breakfast casserole recipe with you, okay? So you can, there'll be more details coming out on that, but that's kind of what the next couple weeks at, at Christ Community look like, all right? Um, <clears throat> let me tell a story that I love to tell, and then I'll read our text for today, and, uh, and we'll jump in, okay? So um, I have a, a family member who has a family member, okay? So this is an extended family member. And at one Christmas... Uh, she, was a, she was still a girlfriend. She's still a girlfriend at this point. So she's kind of, you know, a guest at the family Christmas. And she received as a gift a nice Nike sweatshirt. She received that nice Nike sweatshirt. And when she opened it up, her face just became very straight. The smile faded away. And she said, I've already got one of these. Thanks. She then left the sweatshirt there. She didn't even take it with her. That is a harsh way to receive a gift. In fact, I'm not even sure she received the gift. On the other end of that spectrum, right, is the, I know that you're faking that you really like that gift. Oh, thank you. I, this is just what I want. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so over the next couple of weeks, we're all going to be working in the bathroom mirror over that perfect expression of joy when we receive a gift that we don't really like, that doesn't quite meet our expectations, right? Like there's got to be a middle ground. Surely we can, we can find it, right? We don't want to be at the extreme of just leaving a sweatshirt there. We don't want to be at the extreme of being so fake that everybody can tell. Uh, and, and that's the challenge a lot of times at Christmas as we think about stockings, as we think about beginning to receive these gifts. Uh, there's going to be times when we're disappointed in the gift. 
when the gift doesn't meet our expectation. And the question as a follower in Christ is how do we respond, not just to that gift, but how do we respond in life when life doesn't go as expected? When the life that we have is not the life that we expected to receive. And so today we're going to explore the story of Mary, how her expectations for life were completely flipped upside down and how she, she somehow managed to have real joy in the midst of it all. Not the fake kind, not the ungrateful kind, but real, genuine joy. So if you've got your Bible, read with me uh, Luke 1. We're going to read the first part, and then we'll take the rest in chunks as we go and pray for our time in the Word. Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, Well, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Father, we do thank you for your word. uh, That in this season and in all seasons, it and you are faithful. And so, Father, we just pray that as we come to your word this morning, the Holy Spirit will continue to speak and to lead and challenge us. And we pray, Father, that you would make our spirit willing, willing to submit, willing to receive, willing to be joyful as you remind us of the joy that we have in the coming of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the angel came to Mary, Mary was deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. What was it that was troubling Mary? Initially, in the text, it's just the greeting, but as the angel went on, despite the fact that he had told her to not fear, the troubling scenario only seemed to get worse. She was a pregnant virgin. That's troubling enough. But you can go on. She was a female in a a male chauvinist society. She was in this small village, and if you've ever been in a small village, you know how word travels. She had a crazy story that no doubt was going to be misunderstood by many. I think it's pretty clear, I think it's pretty safe to say that Mary was not doing somersaults because she was pregnant. She wasn't excited about the fact that there was a baby in her belly. There is something very troubling to Mary about this whole situation, this whole scenario. And yet at the the end of her encounter with the angel, she says, I'm in. I'm the Lord's servant. Notice, she's not doing somersaults. She's the Lord's servant because the Lord has spoken. 
Certainly, she's still troubled by all of this. This is really concerning to her. She doesn't know what she's going to do. This brings up so many unknowns. There are so few answers, and she is just left to herself. And as we think about this troubling state of Mary, it causes us to maybe ask in our own lives, what's troubling us? What's troubling us? Another way to ask the question might be to say, what's stealing our joy? Maybe it's grief, grief over how things will never be the same. Maybe it's depression, a depression that says, I don't like that things will forever be different as I look to the future. Maybe there's an anxiety about being ready for Christmas. As I polled the audience informally on the way in this morning, that's about 50-50 whether or not you're ready for Christmas. Maybe there's an anxiety about your finances this time of year. Maybe there's a fear that our kids will be disappointed by the gifts that they receive. Maybe there's a fear that we will lose what we've worked so hard to get. I don't know what it is that's troubling you, that's troubling me. What is it that's stealing our joy? But I do know that many times when we're faced with situations like Mary is in, instead of fearing God's power, we give power to our fears. Instead of fearing God's power, we give power to our fears. And all of a sudden, the thing that rules the day instead of, uh, inside of our hearts and our heads and, and inside of our existence isn't the Word of God. It isn't the, the, the truth that God is all-powerful and that He's in control What has power inside of us is the very real human emotions of fear, anxiety, grief, and depression that we are living with. And so when I ask you that question today, it's very important that we begin to identify the thing that is stealing our joy, that's that's troubling us, that, that maybe is taking a foothold in our life. And so I ask again, what's troubling you today? What's trying to steal your joy? For Mary... This news that she was unexpectedly going to be a mom was trying to do just that. But God wasn't going to let that happen. He wasn't going to let that happen, and He was about to remind her of that very truth. We pick up Mary's story again in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has, been, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he, had, what he has spoken to her. And then Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. Joy, the joy of the Lord, is found not in what we're given, but in who gives it to us. It's found not in the circumstances that we're given. It's found not in the gifts that we're given. It's found not in the favor that we're given. Joy is found in the one who gives it to us, Jesus. 
And you see, Mary's visit to Elizabeth caused her to, to slow down and to reflect on what was really going on here in this situation that was full of so many unlikely happenings. And as she reflected, Mary realized that she not only had a son, but she also had a Savior. She says in verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Mary begins to reflect on this moment. The baby in Elizabeth's belly has, has jumped because of the presence of the baby in her belly. And it only affirmed to her all that had already been told to her. The Son of God was growing inside of her. He was the Messiah. God had chosen her in her humble corner of the world to birth the Savior of the world. But more than just the Savior of the world, this was her Savior too. Can you imagine? And as she realized that she was carrying not just her son, but her Savior, she rejoiced. She returned the joy Jesus was giving her to God in a song. Mary's story illustrates a truth that we find in Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611 says, God, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. One of the traditions that my family used to have, we haven't done it in a few years, but we would have Christmas Eve at my grandparents' home, and we would uh, we did lots of things, but we toasted to the baby Jesus with grape juice. That was great. And then we'd eat uh, this incredible meal that my grandmother would make, and then we would open presents, uh, and then we would go to her Christmas Eve service, and then my home church, we went to a different church, would have an 11 o'clock Christmas Eve service. And so we had this gap of time between her Christmas Eve service and ours. And so we would come back to her house and we'd eat dessert. That was important. And after we ate dessert, we would, uh, we would light her driveway. I don't know if you all have done this or ever seen this done, but uh, Grandpa had taken milk jugs and he cut the top off and he filled the bottom with sand and he put a candle in them and... We would go out, and a lot of times I, we, the kids would sit in the window, and Grandpa and my dad would go out, and they would take these milk jugs one by one, and it was dark, so you couldn't see anything but those lights. And you'd just see one by one, milk jug would go down, candle was lit, and one by one the path to the road was revealed. And, you know, that's a picture of how Christ operates in our lives of how he reveals to us our path, of how he reveals to us where he is and where his presence is so that we might follow with joy our Savior. You see, so too does God reveal to us the joy of our salvation. He's always been that guiding light in our lives. And in just the right moments, he reveals to us how he's lined us up with the rest of his plan to bring incredible joy into the world. And... and the pleasures of knowing that our lives, yours and mine, are in his hand, able to be used to reveal to others the joy of their salvation. Man, that, that brings joy. To think that on this incredibly vast planet over all kinds of time, the joy of Christ has always been there. It may always be clear to us, but it's always been there, guiding the path, lighting the way, one by one, moment by moment, person by person, and he chooses to use you as a light into the world. Those are the things that are coming into Mary's mind as she reflects on what's happening. But the question is, what do we do when it's not clear to us? What do we do on the days that 
It seems dark. The days where it's hard to get out of bed or to put a smile on our face. What do we do when, when the things we're receiving in life are not what we expected? Emotionally, they don't seem to bring us joy. Do we put the fake smile on that we, that we do when we get a gift that we don't like? Oh, thank you. This is just what I wanted. I'm so glad I'm suffering right now. How do we have joy in those moments? In a dark season of King David's life, he wrote these words that we now find in Psalm 51, verse 12. David writes, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. You see, when we have faith that, that God is God, that, that nothing is impossible for Him, that He is always there, that He is the source of our joy, when we believe those things to be true, it gives us the courage to ask God to restore joy in us, to sustain us by giving us a willing spirit. So what can you and I practically do to have the joy of our salvation restored? How can we become willing to join what Jesus is doing in our lives, somehow balancing the grace and the truth of the fact that life isn't always what we've thought, but we know that we have joy in Christ? We can reflect on the giver of our joy. You see, real joy happens when you reflect on how Jesus already is or has already been involved in the details of your life. That's exactly what Mary did. And it becomes a pattern for us to follow. As she went to visit Elizabeth that day, it gave her opportunity to reflect on all the good things that Jesus had done in, in preparing her for this moment in time. And so there's two, two things that I want to challenge us to do. I want to challenge us to reflect on Jesus in the moment. And I want to challenge us to reflect on Jesus in your past memories. First, reflecting on Jesus in the moment. Mary's demonstrating this to us. As she is going through this very difficult time where she is unexpectedly pregnant, she finds a way to reflect on who Jesus is and what he's doing and how he's brought her to this moment in time to be a light to the world. But what does that look like for you and I? It may be as simple as asking yourself one question each day. Where did Jesus show up today? Where did he show up today? What did he do in my life today or in my world today that if he hadn't have shown up and done that, things would have been different? Another way to ask that would be, how could what, what's happening to me right now be guiding me to what God has for me? That one's especially helpful on those dark days. If we'll take questions like these and reflect in the moment on the journey, I believe that it will help us to see and to realize the joy that we have in Christ. How do we incorporate these things? You say, I'm super busy. Like, how do we get time to reflect? Maybe for you as a family, this, these are questions that you ask at the dinner table. Hey guys, where did Jesus show up today? If you're a writer, if you like to write, man, Make this a, a journaling question that you answer every day. Where did Jesus show up today? Uh, for some of you, you've got a thinking chair. Maybe. I don't know. I have a thinking chair. I like my thinking chair. I go to my thinking chair. In the summertime when the weather's nice, you can go to a porch. Maybe you're an extrovert, or you're an external processor, and you need to go to a mentor. And you need to process together, where did Jesus show up? 
Where is he showing up in my life right now? One of my mentors uh, asked me a question as we were processing this question together just recently. And I thought it was so helpful. As you think about what God is doing in your life right now, he said, what's your greatest hope and what's your greatest fear? Wow. Being able to think through that and reflect on how Jesus was operating inside of those things was so helpful. Still, for some of you, you're saying, really, Blake? You think I'm going to find more joy by simply reflecting on what Jesus is doing in my life today? I don't have time for that. I've got important things to do. I'm action-oriented, Blake. I will go and get joy. Let me introduce you some wisdom from Proverbs 21, 29. Maybe sobering. Sobering for me because I'm one of those people that says, I'll just go get some joy. A wicked person puts on a bold face, but the upright one considers his way. You see, wisdom would say that you can, you can put on the bold face all you want and say, today's a great day. It's going to be a great I've got all the joy in the world because that's what it is. But the upright one, the righteous one, he considers his way. He takes time to reflect on how Jesus is, is moving and operating and working in his life. And as he does, he's able to join Jesus. And where Jesus is, joy is. Reflect on Jesus in the moment, on the journey, as you go. But also reflect on Jesus in your past memories. As Mary is reflecting on what's happening to her, as she's reflecting in this moment, she makes a transition in verse 50. And she begins to remember things from her past and things from the past of her people. She says this, his mercy is from generation to generation. She begins to remember that these things that God have, has been doing, they go far beyond her. It's from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. You see, what we don't necessarily realize on first read is that Mary is quoting a ton of scripture in these verses. And she does that to remember and to honor how God had affected his mercy and his justice in the past. She knew the stories of God's mercy from generation to generation. She could recall the, the extra 40 years in the wilderness, the, the result of proud hearts. She could retell stories like God dethroning Saul and giving the kingdom to David. She was watching the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham right before her eyes. God, through time, had shown mercy to humanity. And it allowed Mary to rejoice in what the future held in spite of her current circumstances. You see, as the Israelites told and retold this story of God saving them and showing them mercy, it was a constant reminder to them of their God's faithfulness. So it is for us. Christmas, the retelling of the story of Christ's coming, reminds us of God's faithfulness, and it gives us the confidence and the courage to ask, where is God in my past? Where is God in my past? Maybe I didn't know he was there, 
But Christ's coming reminds me that God is faithful. And whether I knew he was there or not, he was there. I didn't know he was there, but, but it reminds me that God's faithful. So how is he preparing me for what's happening now? I want to be careful not to suggest that, that God wanted you to experience something evil. I'm just stating that no matter what evil has happened in your life, a faithful God has continued to work those things out for the good of those who love him. How do we do this practically? How do we begin to reflect on our past and where God was in our past? One of the greatest tools, one of the most practical tools for reflecting on our past is our parents. Ask them to tell stories of when they were younger. Ask them to reflect on times of past years. Invite them to retell stories that you remember so that you can hear their perspective. And as you listen, it helps you to understand how you framed your past. And it may help you see in retrospect where Jesus is in your past memories. Uh, it's important that we acknowledge this. For many, reflecting on our past is really painful. It's really painful. In fact, it seems illogical that as we're seeking joy, we would reflect on a painful past. But when we do, God helps us see that Jesus has joined us in our pain. And when we realize that truth, we experience joy like we never have before. If we reflect on the giver of joy in the moment and in our past memories, we're able to face the future with true joy, real joy, even in the midst of the unknown. It's our reflections about Jesus that bring us joy as we look for his return, even if we don't know the details. I want to close with another story of Mary and Joseph. Right over in Luke 2, it tells the story of Mary and Joseph returning to the temple. Jesus is 12 years old at this point. He's 12 years old, and they spend some time there for Passover. And Jesus is, you can tell, beginning to, to step into his identity as the Messiah. People are beginning to recognize that, that this young man is very special. They may not know the details, but they know that he is special. And, and Jesus is with the teachers of the law, right? And Mary and Joseph are traveling with their party, and they leave the city. And they just make an assumption that Jesus is somewhere in the mix of people. If you ever lost a kid, <clears throat> I'm not going to call out some specific people who are here today that have lost children in crowds. It's okay. There's grace for you too. <clears throat> I really want to. <laughs> uh, they leave and Jesus isn't with them. Three days into the journey, three days, I mean, I, this, is, this is impressive. Three days into the journey, they're like, oh, snap, where's Jesus? <laughs> He's not here. So they come back to the city. They come back to the city, and they find Jesus with the teachers. They're pretty upset with him. And then Jesus says this in Luke 2, 49 and following. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He asked them. It's kind of a silly question. And he says, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? And then I love this next line, verse 50. But they did not understand what he said to them. 
I don't know if that's because, well, I do know. I, like, in a funny world, I'm like, he's 12. Does anybody understand what a 12-year-old says to them? I, <laughs> but they didn't understand because he was the Messiah. They didn't know the details of his future, even though they knew that he was the Son of God. They didn't know what that meant for their life. It says, then he went down with them and they came to Nazareth and Jesus was obedient to them. It's an important detail, right? Jesus isn't just being defiant. This was part of the plan. And as he's being obedient to them, I love what it says, his mother kept all these things in her heart. She reflected on them. I don't even know what they mean, but I'm just going to reflect on the fact that I was in the presence of Jesus today. His words were sustaining me. They were a treasure to me. You see, when we take time to reflect on Jesus in the moment and the joy that he brings to us, and we reflect on how Jesus has been there all throughout our past, it brings us great joy because it ushers us into the presence of our Savior. The things that we realize in those reflections become treasures in our hearts. So I'd encourage you, in all the busyness of the season, all the craziness of the time, to take time to reflect. To ask the question, what did Jesus do in my life today? As we do that, we're going to realize that Christ came once so that we could be with him. And then he went away to prepare a place for us. And because of the joy that we have in him, we can look forward to that return. He says this in John 14. He says it to the disciples, and I'm, he says it also to us. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. He is Jesus. He is God. Later that night, that very same night, Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples. An institution, something that he, an ordinance that he introduced to the local church. He said, This do in remembrance of me. Perhaps one of the most important things that we do each Sunday that we gather and why it's important that we're here together to gather and to do this is to take part in the Lord's Supper. And as we do it, we remember, we reflect on the fact that Jesus went to the cross. He sacrificed his body. He gave his very blood to pay for our sins, to forgive us. Not just so that we'd be forgiven, although that's true. Not just so that we could be in heaven with him, although that's true. But so that we could experience the joy of being in his presence. So as 
we take communion this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, we remember, we reflect on the joy that comes simply from knowing Christ. This morning, if you realize that, man, that's really good news, but I'm not sure that I know him. I'm not sure that I know the way, the truth, and the life. I'll be in the back. I would love to, to help you take your next step towards a real relationship with him. You heard Dave talk earlier about, man, the first time I really fell in love with Jesus. If you've not fallen in love with Jesus today, I want to invite you into that kind of relationship with him. And I'd love to talk to you about that as we respond today. The band's going to come back. We'll respond to the taking of the Lord's Supper. If the Lord's calling you into relationship with him, I'll be in the back. And, of course, through giving before we pray. And uh, we'll continue in our worship in that way. So let me pray for us. As the band comes, we'll respond to the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, a mercy that spans generations, a grace that was with us even when we didn't know it was there, all that resulting in the joy of knowing Christ. And so, Father, we pray that... Um, this morning, that you would continue to light our path. That you would give us the courage to, to cling to you in times of darkness. And Father, for those that are in a dark moment or a dark season, a troubled time, Father, we pray, Psalm 51, that you would restore the joy of your salvation to them. That you would give them a willing spirit. Help them to see where you are in the midst of the darkness. Help them run to you. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.